Hello, thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ. This is our fourth week in the series on the unity of the kingdom of God called One Kingdom Indivisible. We have joined with at least 20 other churches to preach the same series uh, outlining how the unity we have as followers of Jesus is far deeper than any earthly alliance we could have. Now, the approach we have taken has been to trace the theme of the kingdom of God broadly throughout Scripture. We've looked at the creation story, and we've looked at Exodus. This week, we arrive at a painful part of the story of God's people, the 70 years that they spent in exile in Babylon. They were stolen from their land, resettled thousands of miles away, and separated from their heritage. Now, this event did not happen in a vacuum. It was the result of generations of disobedience on the part of the people of God. If you were with us when we did our The Story series, uh, you know that the people of God fell into a pattern in their relationship with God. So God would bless them. They would forget about God. They would turn their attention to other gods an enemy would arise, and God would not save them from their enemy. Once they were defeated, they would cry out to God and turn back to him. God would hear their cries and rescue them, and they would be restored. He would bless them again, they would forget him again, and the cycle repeated itself over and over. And we've seen that cycle repeat itself over and over again throughout the biblical narrative. Now, what made the exile different was that the people were utterly humbled and defeated. All that they thought made them special, their identity as a nation, uh, the city of Jerusalem with its walls, the temple, uh, all of those things were taken away from them. And God did not ride in to save them from the destruction that they faced. Instead, God sent them into exile so that they would learn a lesson. His goal was to transform his people through the difficult season of 70 years. It made me think this week about this particular question. Do we learn more from our successes or our failures? Do we learn more from staying in situations we are comfortable with or by being forced into something that is uncomfortable. When I think about some of the formative events in my life, there are, of course, really good things that have happened to me that have made me who I am, but there have also been really hard things, really challenging things. And in many of the hard and challenging times that I have faced, there was not an easy way out. No one could rescue me, make it all go away, or or change the situation of what had happened. Instead, I had to struggle through the pain, the adversity, self-doubt, anger, and fear. There's really no better example from my life than my struggle, my struggle with depression and anxiety. There have been moments in my life when I didn't know who I was, what I was going to do with my life, how anything would end up, not even what the next move was. And it was only when I found myself in this place of complete helplessness that my view of myself and God really began to change to become something more than it was before. 
But before I could reach that place, I had to have my identity, the way that I saw myself and the way that I saw God, stripped down to almost nothing so that it be- could become something new. Now, while I wish I could have learned these things a different way, that is not what happened. I mean, isn't there some sort of instructional video I can watch? Or what about a pamphlet? Like, everybody loves pamphlets. I mean, they're informative and engaging. But no, I had to go through periods of my life that were a struggle in order to learn the things that God wanted me to learn. Now, let's be clear about this. The reason why God sent his people into exile was because exile, struggle, and pain are great teachers. And God knew that there would be lessons that his people needed to learn which blessing could not teach them. He knew what kind of people he wanted them to be, and so he used exile to shape them into that kind of people. So the first thing we have to see about exile is that there was a great purpose behind it. God didn't just arbitrarily send his people into exile and oppression. Last week we saw the birth of the kingdom of God when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. God built them into a great nation. He gave them a land, prosperity, leaders, everything that they could possibly need to be a successful people, but in spite of all that blessing, God's people kept turning away from him. They kept forgetting about him. They kept turning to other gods. And things had to change if God was going to maintain his relationship with these people. So Jeremiah explains the reason for exile when he recorded God telling his people how they can go about returning to him. From Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. If you, Israel, will return, then return to me, declares the Lord. If you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by him, and in him they will boast. Now, if you look closely at this scripture, there are three reasons why God sent his people into exile. The first reason is idolatry. They stopped worshiping God and began to worship false gods. These false gods took the form of uh, gold molded into animals, uh, Asherah poles, which were basically tree trunks <laughs> that they would uh, worship. They had adopted the gods of all the nations around them and turned their backs on their God. Uh, secondly, there was a lack of righteousness. They were not a righteous people. Their kings were selfish and worldly. Uh, they were not a holy people set apart, but instead they looked just like everyone else. There was nothing to distinguish them from the other nations. And thirdly, they lacked justice. Their leaders were corrupt. The poor suffered while the rich prospered. Those in power abused those who were vulnerable. In short, they were nowhere near being the kind of people that God wanted them to be. 
And God had told them exactly how to be his people. He gave them the law, guidelines for how to live with him as their God. They were to be a treasured possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. They were to honor and love God. They were to love and care for one another. But no matter how you look at the story, they failed. They did not live up to their identity. They created their own identity. And the only thing that really tied them to God was the blessing that God had given them. So God removed that blessing. He sent them into exile. He stripped away all of the things that they had built up, that they believed made them so great, all these things that had kept them from being his people. And in a, what had to be a life-changing, shocking move for them, they once again found themselves as slaves to one of the great empires of the earth. Now, what did God hope that they would learn? What did they think the situation would end up being like? Would humility lead directly to restoration? Once they came to their senses, would God crush their enemies under his feet? Would God turn the tables on their oppressors and put them back on top? Well, the answer is no. That was not the purpose of the exile, nor was it what God wanted to have happen during the exile. God wanted them uh, to be humbled, but humility in and of itself was not the lesson. God wanted them to be dependent upon him, but even that dependence upon him was not the only lesson. He wanted them to discover what it meant to be the people of God, a citizen of the kingdom of God, living amongst other kingdoms. And yes, they should be holy and set apart. Yes, they should worship him and not worship other gods. Yes, they should look different than other kingdoms. But in what ways should they look different than other kingdoms? What is the key way, the key thing that would distinguish them uh, apart from just worshiping God and being blessed by God? And God had a surprising answer to that question. It's been interesting as we've gone through this study to see how God has different purposes at different times for his people. We've been looking at the kingdom of God and paying close attention to how the kingdom of God interacts with the kingdoms of the world. And in these two stories that we've looked at this week and last week, the exodus and the exile, the similarities and differences are fascinating. So in the exodus, God's concern were, his, were for his people to be distinct. He he wanted to build them up into what he wanted them to be. He was creating a nation for the first time. And so they were to be set apart from the world. They were to be called out of that place. So Moses, Moses gave up a life in Pharaoh's court. He stood up to Pharaoh, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The plagues came. The people were freed. They went off to the land that God gave to them. 
In the exile, however, God wanted to transform his people. He wasn't creating them from scratch anymore. He was having to create a new identity for them, an identity that was closer to what he had originally envisioned for them. So Daniel took a position in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Daniel partnered with him, and God softened the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. In one case, God draws them out and hardens the leader's heart. In another case, he pushes them in, and he softens the heart of the leader. God has different purposes for his people at different times. He's not a a rule book or a system that you can just put over anything. God is a God with personal goals, and his purposes adapt to the situation and whatever is needed. And there are times to stand in opposition to the world as Moses did with Egypt, but there are also times to partner with the world as Daniel did with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, there's not a formula to determine what to do. All of this requires wisdom, which means that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom that we need so that we can know and tell what it is that God wants for us at this place, at this time, in whatever situation we may be in. There's an important lesson for us here. When God's people got off track and he needed them to discover what it meant to be part of his kingdom, he did not try to bless their way to understanding. He did not try to put them on top of their situation so that everything could go their way. Instead, he sent them into exile with this command. You are to be a blessing while you are in exile. Not what you expected? It's surprising, isn't it? After all, shouldn't God put his people back on top? Well, no. He had something better planned for them. The book of Jeremiah is a guide for how to live in exile. Most of the people in Jeremiah's day were hoping that things would get better quickly. But that's not the message that Jeremiah had for his people. Listen to what he says here in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Think about what Jeremiah was saying. He was telling them, don't live for the life that you used to have. Don't live for the life that you think you should have. Instead, live the life you have right now. Live in exile. And while you might pray for deliverance, you need to live your life in the kingdom right where you are. And that means not that God is going to put you on top, but from the bottom, you bless the place that you are living. 
you bless your city. Now, that's crazy. What, what would you think about that if you were in their place? How, how could God possibly ask his people to work for the welfare of a government that had no regard for them, for a leader who would twist the truth, obscure reality, and impress, oppress his people? But this is the story of the kingdom of God. This is part of what the kingdom of God is about. And it's not only what they were asked to do. This story is our story. This is what we were uh, are asked to do in that same kind of season. Because Jesus himself echoed these thoughts in the Sermon on the Mount. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus doubles down on what Jeremiah said. Because he says, if you have enemies, your job is not to try to defeat your enemies. Your job is not to try to put your enemies in their place. Instead, your job is to bless them, to pray for them, to love them. And the reason why you do this is that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And therefore, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, the thing that will distinguish you from everybody else is not God's blessing. It is the fact that you will love and be in people's lives in a way that others will not. You will bless your enemies. Now, here's where this gets interesting from a political perspective for us today. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've read it in the news or seen it on Facebook or depending on who you watch. You hear so many people today talking about their rights, defending their rights not letting their rights be violated or taken away. And I want to suggest to you that as members of the kingdom of God, our concern politically is not for ourselves and our rights. Our concern should be for others. Our political concern should not be our, for ourselves, but for others. And I find it troubling that so much of the political effort of many Christians today is focused on self-preservation. We are worried that our rights are being violated. We are concerned that the government isn't treating us fairly. We lobby for legislation that protects our rights and favors our institutions. But if we are going to love in the way that we are called to love, the nature of that love is not to protect ourselves, but to care for others. Not to protect ourselves, but to care for others. 
So what does that mean in a political environment where so many are trying to put others in their place? And some people will say that we need to be calling the world to repentance. We, we need them to see their sinfulness, and we need to tell them exactly what's wrong with them. I agree with some of that, but that's not really the method, one, that's going to work, or two, that God prefers we use. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and repentance, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Paul was speaking to a group of Christians that lived in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire, where Caesar was considered to be a god. They were living in a different kingdom amongst people who had very different values from them. And what does Paul say to them How are they to live as part of the kingdom of God in the middle of that place? He says, number one, you shouldn't judge other people because I'm not sure you're qualified to do that. But number two, when you are judging other people and putting yourself and your rights and who you are above them, you are forgetting something. You are forgetting the kindness and grace and love of God toward you. As he puts it, you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. For it is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. God's kindness is what leads people to repentance. It's not legislation. It's not proving you're right and someone else is wrong. It's God's kindness. Jeremiah instructed the people of God to seek the welfare of the Babylonian nation. Jesus told the people of God to love and pray for their enemies who they could not help but see as either as as the Roman soldiers who were occupying their town. Paul told Christians living in Rome that it was God's kindness that would change people's lives. God did send the nation of Israel into exile to correct them, but that, that was his people. And he did discipline them. But for those who don't know God, it is his grace and kindness which will lead to a change of direction, which will lead to repentance. And so as we contribute as members of the kingdom to this discussion of everything that's happening in our world, our calling is not to protect our own rights, or even to change the people in our world. Our goal is not to fix their lifestyle. Instead, our role is to be a blessing, to bless the world with the kindness of God. It is the best place to begin. But kindness, (laughs) loving others, is complicated when you get real people talking about real issues. What do we do with our biblical convictions? Who do we partner with? These are 
important questions that we have to ask. And because they require wisdom, again, different Christians are going to come up with different conclusions. And we need the Spirit to help guide us. But this brings us back to unity. This is why it's so important for us to start with a foundation of unity. What is it that draws us together? Because if we are unified in Jesus Christ, then it's okay when we disagree on any given situation. We can talk about the pros and cons, but all of that happens within the boundaries of unity, balancing kindness and grace with biblical convictions is complicated. And we are facing those complications right now. Our unity is being challenged. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people over the last couple of months, people inside our church and outside of our church, where we have discussed how difficult it is to be unified with people that we disagree with. And I have had Christians that I know and love come to me and just say, I don't know how I can be unified with someone who would vote this way or would vote that way. Our unity is being challenged. And given our specific political climate, we are constantly being told that we cannot find unity with someone who thinks this way or that on a specific issue. And furthermore, too many exchanges between Christians are not marked by love, understanding, empathy, or blessing. We have to remember that unity is complex, and we are going to be tempted, if not pushed, to take a hard stand with people and to plant our flag and to put our foot down. Unity is complex, and it doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. Instead, it means that we have identified what it is that draws us together, and we have put that thing in its place. But beyond that, there's something I want you to hear today. You don't have to agree with everything that someone believes in in order to be a blessing in their lives. In exile, Daniel was true to his convictions, but he worked with someone who violated a lot of those convictions. King Nebuchadnezzar was not a godly king. But Daniel didn't compromise on his beliefs. He focused on the good work he was doing. He spoke God into all of those situations. And God blessed him and softened Nebuchadnezzar's heart and blessed Babylon through Daniel. Look, if Daniel can work with Nebuchadnezzar, you can work with someone that you disagree with. The picture of God's people in exile helps us to understand this. And it helps us to break up what James Mumford calls package deal ethics. You see, our world tends to view everything as a perfect alliance. They say we need to sign on completely to anything in order to work together. But in reality, nothing is like that. We hold true to our personal convictions and we Stay faithful, God. We do our best to follow him and to do the things that he is calling us to do. And we partner with some people on particular issues and we weigh everything in balance. And, and that's what the exile made clear, that God's people could find a way to be true to themselves and their God while still seeking to radically bless a pagan nation. 
This is what God called them to. And it requires wisdom, but that is how the Spirit leads us. Because we cannot forget that when God called Abraham to be the father of his people, he wanted to bless Abraham, to make him into a great nation, to give him a life that only God could give. But remember, he said, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That God from the very beginning intended his people to be a blessing to the earth. So in exile, the people of God would be called to live their lives and bless the people that they lived with, even though they were so different and didn't believe in their God. And let us not forget that Jesus, while we were still sinners, died for us. That we were his enemies when he blessed us. All of this points to this simple truth. When you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, it is not what you receive that sets you apart. It is what you give. And unfortunately, we don't learn this when we are living on top. Sometimes it takes exile to show us how to bless from the bottom. Sometimes it's only when we are forced to put ourselves and our desires and our want to be on top aside that we are even willing to be a blessing to others. As Christians, we can be quick to talk about how to change the world. We look around and see so many things that are out of alignment with the kingdom of God. The list can go on and on. We want our leaders to reflect our faith. We want laws to uh, protect what we think is important and to uphold standards that we believe the world should be held to. And we get frustrated and angry and many times cruel when this does not happen. But I cannot overstate this. Within the kingdom of God, we are not even doing a very good job of loving one another, of supporting one another, of being able to put unity in Christ over political party views on an issue, what you support or don't support. That's not really being a citizen of the kingdom of God. In this part of the story of the kingdom, we see that God didn't ask his people to go out and change the world. He sent his people out into the world to be changed by it. He subjected his people to oppression so their character would be transformed. He put them on the bottom so they might start to live for something than themselves, other than themselves. He expected them to be a blessing. And this is what God calls us to at this time, in this place. We are called to be a blessing. How do we do that? Well, Bryce, what about this issue? What about that thing? What about this thing? I hear you. And I know how frustrated you are, no matter what side of anything you are on. But the place you start is with kindness. 
for God has been so kind and good to you. God took you who were once his enemy and made you his friend. And he didn't do it by proving he was right and you were wrong because he knew we wouldn't listen to that. Instead, he did it by sacrificing, by putting himself beneath us, by allowing his son to die in our place that we might have life with him. God has been so kind and good to you to bless you. Can you be kind and good to others to bless them? For whether you are in exile or safe at home, this is God's desire for you, that as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you will bless the world. Be a blessing. We'll see you next time.